Welcome to the 14th episode of the Facilitator M Podcast. My name is Jim Rice and I'll be your host today. This podcast has been created to host discussions of relevance for GP missionaries in phase four and five fields. Today we have a special guest with us, Zach Zmara. Uh, Zach is the National Director of Immigrant Connection and pastor of the Bridge Community Church. He also served as a GP missionary in Papua New Guinea and in Mozambique. Zach, it's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here, thanks. Uh, Zach, could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Immigrant Connection and how that developed? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned in the intro, I used to serve as a Global Partners missionary. And when we came off of the field, uh, my wife and I were serving in Mozambique. We came off the field, uh, it was supposed to be a four-year term. We were only there a year and it was a really, really hard, hard time for our family, kind of a dark night of the soul. And so I wanted to be back on the mission field ever since I was a kid. Um, I wanted to be a missionary, um, even though I didn't come from a missionary family or a ministry family. Uh, Jim Elliott was my hero. You would know that from Ecuador. Like, you know, I just always wanted to serve overseas. I always had a heart for it. Um, and yet I knew we weren't in a place as a family where going back overseas was probably going to happen anytime soon. And so I asked my district superintendent what we should do. And they thought we might be on a church plant team. Uh, but while we were even looking for houses in this community where we might plant a church. Uh, but in the meantime, they asked us if we would go and kind of preach, uh, fill a pulpit for a church that they had decided to close. And so that was in Logansport, Indiana. So we, we came to this church that was a declining church. Uh, and one of the reasons why is the community had changed. Uh, the reality is, and most everyone on this call would know this, no matter what country you're in, uh, worldwide migration is at an all-time high, right? So like over 280 million people live outside their country of birth. And if you put all those people together, it would be the fourth largest country in the world. And so this happened in Logansport. Logansport, like a town of uh, less than 20,000, was like a farming kind of community uh, in Indiana, uh, 99% white community. I mean, didn't even have a large African-American population, let alone a foreign-born population. But then all of a sudden, because of like a lot of meat processing that came to town, our community over the past 20 years now is a third foreign-born immigrant or refugee. So all of a sudden, even though like I'm not living overseas, the reality is, is like I'm in my happy place where I'm around a lot of different cultures and peoples and languages uh, don't really know. I mean, 10 years in, I still don't really know how to be a pastor. I know how to be a missionary, right? I know how to like listen and learn and kind of see what God's up to and say, how do we join him in that? How to connect people. And so that's kind of my sweet spot. Um, and so everyone in our community that was an immigrant, like had questions about like documentation and papers and immigration. And I got to be honest, like I knew what that was like overseas. Uh, you mentioned I was in Papua New Guinea. I was actually deported um, when I was in Bougainville because uh, the Floyd family like had a child and we only had so many work permits. And so we kind of ran out of work permits for the Wesleyan church. And so like, I had to like leave because I had no work permit. Crazy story. Aska uh, Freeman was there when that all happened. And it was just a crazy Randy Freeman helped yeah. me get my passport anyways. So I kind of knew, and any missionary knows that complexity of like trying to get your lawful permanent residence and passing tests and all that. But I didn't know it really in the States. I, I just wasn't aware um, and so my assumption was like most things, when someone has a food need, you point them to the food pantry. When someone has an issue, it's like, here's where the daycare. And so I would just give directions. Right. What we found was there was no one in the whole region. Like, you know, it was like, no one was doing this. And it's like, well, okay, 
we have this massive felt need. In fact, largest felt need of the foreign born population is access to immigration legal services. No one is meeting that need. Like maybe we should. I'm an idea person. My wife sorts through about a hundred ideas a day, finds like half of one that's decent. She jokes about when I told her, hey, I think we should do this because there was a program that if you were a nonprofit, you would get education and experience in immigration law. You could do what an immigration attorney could do, but you could do it for a low cost. And it's like, well, why aren't churches doing this? You know, here's the unique thing, like people on the call, like you're from all over. Like one of the things is I think too often, and, and I don't want to, I mean, I believe in the local church, obviously I'm a pastor. I was a missionary. Um, but sometimes we've allowed parachurch organizations and NGOs to kind of usurp our role. I, you know, we've seen that happen. And it's like, no, like the local church can and should be doing this. Sometimes we can do it better, you know, yeah. lower overhead, more holistic. And so, you know, when we launched Immigrant Connection, this would be in 2014, we were one of the first like three churches in the whole nation to do it. There were other nonprofits, like 800 plus other nonprofits, all parachurch or other organizations, but it's like, no, the church should do this. And so we, we launched the, the first American Connection office in 2014, and it's grown into this you know, phenomenal movement. And then the movement became an organization that I now serve as the national director. But it's just been this great thought of saying, you know, Jesus has favorites. You know, we know this as missionaries, right? The poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner living among us. What's unique on that, Jim, is that, and I've just learned this in the past few years, this is such a gospel thing that all of us on whatever mission field we're on need to take advantage of. If in the ancient Near East, uh, a good ethical king was cared to stand in the gap for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. So the tree out of the oppressed has been kind of a normal thing, like good people should do that. It's uniquely Yahweh, it's uniquely Jesus that calls us to care for the foreigner, because that is unnatural. We all know that. Like when when I was in Southern Africa, it's like South Africans, it was always on the news, Mozambicans would do something wrong. You know, they were the scapegoat. If you live like in, in Indonesia, it's like the Thai people. It's like, we all have that. And so for the church to stand and say, no, we love immigrants. Like they're God's favorites, so they're our favorites. In fact, that's what God says, right? Deuteronomy says, you know, why should you love immigrants? Because I love immigrants, follow my lead. And it gives us this wonderful gospel witness because I gotta be honest, you know, I, I'm a white, Midwestern guy. I grew up saying and thinking all kinds of things that really weren't true about immigrants. You know, they're a threat, they're a burden, they're coming here for free, this and that. And it's like, you, you're around this rhetoric, no matter what country you're in, there's like an anti-immigrant rhetoric. And if we actually live our gospel witness, it, it, it prompts so many questions. I get asked all the time, like, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, because the gospel compels me to, because literally the characteristic of a church leader is phylloxenos. Hospitality is not having your in-laws in your spare bedroom. It's not hosting a dinner party. It's not hosting the World Cup. It's literally loving immigrants. It's this very countercultural thing that when we live out, it causes questions from immigrants and non-immigrants, like, why would you do this? And it gives us a chance to kind of bear witness to Jesus. That's great. And so many things there strike a chord with me in what you were saying. Um, from just the very idea of how Jesus looked at, at foreigners and immigrants uh, to uh, how we all in every country and every people group, really in every country, yeah. have a, another scapegoat group that we look at as if something bad happens, well, they probably did it. 
Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and looking at, at, at us in the United States at this particular point, we are so divided politically, socially, ideologically, uh, that this has become a huge political ball that gets batted around. And this is not something that we've even discussed before, but how, how, do, you, how do we reconcile those two sides and actually make them want to come together and do something that's real, <laughs> that, yeah. that helps solve some of the problems that are going on and makes it um, easier for those who are fleeing oppression and makes even the pathway for people that just want to immigrate uh, streamlined. Is there something that we yeah. as just normal people can do to help that? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I, I think what's great about a lot of these things, and no matter what country, and there's certain topics that like, all of a sudden, even the church first thinks politically about them rather than biblically about them. Mm -hmm. And what's been great about Immigrant Connection is we're this non-political response. It's like, what we do is one of the most complex parts of law. You know, there's immigration law and tax law, which are the most complex. It's like, I can't file my taxes alone because I don't want to pay too much or too little. And every missionary on the call knows what that's like. I remember once I was a missionary and an ordained pastor, it was like, I'm out. I, I need help. And, and it's because we want to follow the law. It's the same way with immigration in the United States. It's so complex. It's like, look, I think too often people, when they hear about Immigrant Connection, they think like, I hear a sad story and I cry. And if there's enough tears in a jar, a, a green card appears. It's like, that's not how this works. It's like, we navigate through a very complex law and like, Personally, do I wish there'd be change? Yes. I mean, we haven't had comprehensive immigration reform in decades. However, what we're doing is we're saying we're meeting people at their point of need. And so it's like, we're not like, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not marching or doing any of this advocacy, which is fine for certain people, but it's like, this is a non-political response where it's like, we're meeting immigrants where they are and we're trying to walk them through a very complex process. And I think sometimes when we serve, we have to understand that like political minefields Sometimes we avoid the minds when we just say, no, like this isn't like we are called to do this and this is making a difference. And so what we find is people on polar opposite sides of things um, all of a sudden like are very supportive of immigrant connection because they realize this response is saying we're, we're meeting people out of need and we're serving it um, and, and it's not political. However, I say that in one side to say the other side that I also think we, especially as missionaries, even more so than any other people who are called to serve, we put ourselves in situations in every country where we have to speak truth, um, even if it's unpopular, right? And, and we can't avoid that. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't serve as a good pastor, because as a missionary, I was taught, like, you know, we contextualize things, we listen, learn, we see what's happening, we say, how does the Bible speak to that? And so I'm often talking about issues that other people would say, oh, that's off limits in the United States. I'm like, well, it wasn't when we served overseas. It's like, this is what everyone else is talking about. We should be talking about this too. It's like, and so I do think, you know, even in these issues that are minefields, I think that's one of the great things about missionaries is um, I think we have this unique calling and ability to kind of throw ourselves into these situations that sometimes other people would run away from because we say, well, no, this is actually really important. This, this is going to shape, you know, this country, this people, this community for generations to come. So we're not going to let politics speak to it. We want the Bible to, and we're going to do the hard work of saying, how do we contextualize God's word based on this 
present reality in this place. Um, so. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, I guess thinking about, uh, as, as you were talking about missionaries there being uniquely positioned to speak into some of the minefield areas, I was also thinking at the very same time, we are positioned well quite often, but sometimes we avoid it. And because, you know, there are a number of things, number of reasons. One, we have a support team. And we've got these uh, the group of churches and people that, that are, are supporting us. What are they going to think? What are they going to do? You know, you don't post vacation pictures. You don't post all these other things. Uh, but I think that's okay. But what's not okay for us is to not address those things that are spoken to scripturally and mm -hmm. when we need to speak. Um, and that's one of the things that I think the global South has taught us. I mean, that's where the church is now. And it's like, it seems like most um, followers of Jesus I know outside of the United States, like we don't have all these divided things. We're like, well, that's political. Don't talk about it. That's this or that. It's like, they understand. And in some ways, like we can learn and be discipled by our brothers and sisters overseas who say, no, this does matter. Like it doesn't, I, I mean, that's what I learned overseas. I remember, you know, one of the first times when I realized how much my divided middle occurred where it was like, you know, there was physical and spiritual. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second. Like if following Jesus isn't going to impact my life here and now, if it's just about a ticket, it's like, why, why does the gospel matter? Like the gospel has the power to change lives and cultures and governments, you know, now. And so it's like, I think that's one of the things that, I mean, I've learned from being a missionary that my brothers and sisters overseas have helped me kind of engage with. That's great. Switch gears just a little bit and go into some of the things that have gone on in the immigration connection, specifically um, failures to start with. We'll get to successes, yeah. but yeah. Some, some of the failures that you've seen. Yeah, so like, um, just for people that don't know about Immigrant Connection, so uh, we provide church-based, low-cost immigration legal services in under-resourced communities. So like, we are uniquely church-based where I get calls from other nonprofits all the time, and we want to be open-handed and help them, but we think the church should be doing this, and so that's kind of our unique function. We also try to go in under-resourced communities. Those are two kinds of communities in the country. It's communities like mine that are in the middle of nowhere. So obviously no immigration law firm will go there, but it's also larger places where there's just not enough capacity. Like if you live in a large city in the United States and you called like Catholic Charities that does this work, they'd say, well, we'll put you on a wait list and we can talk to you in six months. And so it's like, there just needs to be more. And so uh, 23, launching 23 sites, there's 18 active, might not seem like a big number, but we are the largest by far of our kind in the United States. World Relief has been doing this since about the 80s. I think they have 14 offices. And so like we surpassed them even though they've been doing it two decades longer. And so it seems like, oh man, there's all this success, but it's like one of the things that I've struggled with and every missionary on the call will struggle with is if you're an idea person, if you're a starter, my wife jokes with me, you know, there's starters and stokers if you think about fires. And she says, my life figuratively has a bunch of smoldering fires, like hundreds of smoldering <laughs> fires behind me because I'm a starter. And what that means is too often we see a need, we want to meet a need, we say yes to it. And then like, we wonder, it's like, well, why didn't like, you know, the indigenous leadership, like, why don't they pick up? It's like, well, because you moved on too quick. Like you didn't build a fire, like you sparked something and then moved on. And so immigrant connection, uh, I was just looking at a map from, uh, 
Dave Jury had posted it from, I think it would have been 2015. So a year in, we had three offices open and it was a map of all these ones that were supposed to start. And sadly, like five of the seven that were supposed to start, and I even put on a map, never started. Because I was too quick, like moving ahead to try to find like the next one that it was like, you know, sometimes, especially in innovative ministries, like you got to walk with people, you have to help them move through obstacles. Like not everyone is a pioneer, right? Like just because you got your machete and you're cut and blazing the trail doesn't mean when like the vines grow back over it, that people will find the trail. It's like, you need to go back and kind of find the rest. And that's hard for people that are wired, probably like me and Eugene, where it's like, we just want to like blaze trails. And then we wonder why people are lost behind us. And we're like, just keep up. And so a lot of the failure was saying like, okay, you know, there's a difference between early adopters and the next, you know? And so like, how do we actually, um, you know, help move that? Another big failure for us, and I could talk about failures for the next days, I could talk failures. But um, another one is the fact that I think too often, and, and my guess is most people on the call will, will, will have some, uh, some similar situation occurs. We find a few passionate people, we empower them, but we don't bring along like the rest of the church or the rest of the group. And then we wonder why things stall out. And that's hard because what we have learned is when it comes to immigrant connection, like, you know, I get calls and I'll find like three or four people in a church who are passionate about this and I can walk with them, get them the training, the experience, apply to the government and open a site. Yet at the same time, the, the church itself has no clue what's going on. And so we have learned over the long run, okay, part of this needs to be like, we know how to start these, but if they're going to become healthy and sustainable and have capacity, we need a big, thick, wide foundation, which means we need to tell pastors, you got to preach on this. We need to have like small group curriculum. So when someone's like in line at the grocery store and, and someone says, hey, I hear your church is doing this immigration thing. What's that about? They shouldn't just, they should know how to respond. They should be able to say like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've gone through a study and did you know that this is God's heart? And did you know this is more complex? And did you know there's a difference between a refugee and an asylum? It's like, we realize we need to take the group along and that's hard. It's a lot easier just to take the few people who get it and run with them. But what happens is it's like, you know, it's like this big flashbang. It's going to make a lot. It's like most of the fires I do that my wife says are smoldering. You know, it's like it was hot and big, but then it burned out. Mm -hmm. And so we learned really quickly. It's like, man, because what would happen, and 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 I don't want to offend you know anyone that goes through this, but it's like we would have like one person believe in it, and then there'd be a pastor transition, and the next pastor would be like, "Yeah, we're going to close this," and I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, "Well, you know, it's just not really the direction the church wants to." And I'm like, "But it's God's heart," and like I would be really, and it's like, "But, but we never took the time to help people understand this was God's heart. This wasn't just one person's passion." This was a, this was a kingdom thing. And so we've learned, it's like, man, we got to get deep roots. We need other people to believe in this. Um, if not, um, we, we have, we, we've closed, you know, four sites. And part of it has been because in those four, we never went deep enough. So when the few people that were passionate moved on, were called to do something else, nothing was left behind. In fact, if I can just share from the missionary perspective, one of my most, um, profound memories when I was in the, the highlands of Papua New Guinea, we went to Tagaru and it was this mission station that had like, you know, a, a K through 12 school, a Bible college, a hospital, it had all these things, but you know, missionaries hadn't been there for years. And I mean, everything just like had, had just crumbled. And I remember thinking that night, 
like as I was just like laying away talking to Jesus because the national superintendent was a snore and he was snoring next to me. Um, but I was just thinking like, what's the point? Like, why go? You know, why go and make a difference if it's so short lived? And it's like, I think we've learned in the mission movement in different areas, like how do we keep things sustainable? How do we hand off the baton in a way that like it's a successful pass? How do we raise up people? I mean, and so Immigrant Connection had to learn all those things. And once again, like, let me just share with everyone that's listening. It's like, you're my heroes as missionaries because I learned this, you know, from you. I learned this from leaders overseas. It was like, th this was the training that helped Immigrant Connection become what it was because it's like, I, it was like, hey, how do we make sure that this doesn't, you know, just fade away in one generation, but actually can like, you know, maintain and grow and expand. So, I mean, I can give you more and more failures if you want, but maybe you have another question. No, I mean, go on and talk a little bit about some successes. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, what we learned and um, so most everyone on the call would know Dr. Joanne Lyon. And so Joanne Lyon is just such a great, uh, you know, resource and connector. And so any of you that know Joanne know that like she tells your story much better than your story actually is. Like she finds a way to like really make God shine through it. And so Joanne would share the story of the immigrant connection to the bridge all the time. And so all of a sudden they're talking about what we do in like books I remember the first time, like, I not only was written about it in a book, like, it was in the index. It was like, man, I've won. Like, I didn't even have to read the, write this myself. Like, I'm in a book. But all of a sudden, people would show up. Like, they would hear about the bridge and immigrant connection, and they would come to church, and they would be so disappointed. Because they expected, you know, a bigger church, a better pastor, a better community. And that is such a win for me. Because I would sit down. I said, you should have called ahead. I would have told you. There's nothing here that's special except Jesus. He loves to use the weak and the small. One of my sending churches, um, five years after coming off the field, um, they called me and they said, hey, we're doing a series on failure. Um, and we thought of you. Can you come and talk about your story? And it was like, wow, that really hurts. That <laughs> It's like, you need to be around more people that like, I'm still your poster boy for failure. However, all that to say, it's like, I've learned that that's such a success. God has used small declining churches, dying things. And he's used immigrant connection to resurrect them and transform them and make them. It's like, I am now the most important entity in my town. And 10 years ago, we were almost dead, but because we said yes to God, God loves using, you know, the weak and the small. Many of you went to a mission field thinking you were going to serve like the majority population. And now you're serving like the immigrants and the refugees. And, and it's because like God seems to be revitalizing you know, his church in, in ways that we weren't kind of prepared for. And so I think one of the biggest successes of the American Connection is it's taught me that it's like the big, the strong, the powerful, the big budgets, the amazing leaders. I mean, God uses them too, but boy, God loves to use the small, the weak. He wants to get the glory, right? And so it's like, he wants to use like the person It's like, we don't have that in our budget. I don't have that capacity. I never was trained in that way. And it's like, God's like, I mean, it goes back to David, right? It's like, Man, if people had to choose their first choice, they would never have chosen me or Immigrant Connection. Um, and yet the reality is, is that like God gets all the glory in this movement. And so it's been really great. The other thing I've learned is that um, uh, the reality is you, you have to coach. Um, and so if you're doing anything like this that is like unique and innovative, um, you have to handhold more than... Uh, sometimes people like me who are ID people want to. 
Um, like I said, we get too far out ahead. And so we've learned a system. I think one of the reasons we're so successful is we say, I understand people who say you have to have tenacity and perseverance and grit. You should be able to like run through any obstacle, but most people, that's not what happens. Like this idea that somehow like following Jesus is easy. So like, you know, this idea, like if he closes the door, he opens a window and you go through, it's like, no, like a lot of times the enemy wants to close doors and God needs us to push them in. And so it's like, we have learned like, how do we form teams of people? And GP does this really well, right? How do we form teams of people so we're not alone in this? How do we walk beside each other and challenge and encourage one another? How do we not let anyone fall behind? So it's like, no, God called you to this. And I know it's hard, but I'll carry you for a while. Like, and that'll be okay because we're going to get through this. And so I'm, I've been really excited, like, especially as our ministry has grown and we're in other denominations and other churches that it's like, we don't leave people behind like we used to before. It was like, well, no, you're not, you're not good enough. Like you should be able to figure this out. I figured it out. Why can't you? And it's like, no, that excuse doesn't work anymore. It's like, it's a different journey for everyone. And we just kind of need to help people along the way. And so having kind of, we call it a launch coach um, to kind of like walk beside people is just um, so important uh, for, for us. So. Having said some of those things and talked about GP a little bit there and, and, and well, all the way through, but here in this last success idea of forming teams makes me want to move on to the next question, which is how do you see GP and the work of GP intersecting with uh, what you do at Immigrant Connection? And is there an intersect? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I was just at a, at a wedding and uh, Dina Horn was there, you know, who used to serve the uh, in, in Europe and now they're, they're home. And uh, Dina was talking about, so it's so funny perspectives, you know, the Wesleyan church is such a small tribe. And so um, we were in a Wesleyan life. And I remember it was one of the first articles I wrote about immigrant connection. And she had written an article that was on the next page and it was about uh, refugees in Europe. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Like my article is next to Dina. Well, Dina's telling the story to someone talking about how excited she was to have an article next to Zach. And it's like, you know, I think the reality is a lot of our immigrant connection people like look to GP and you're our heroes. And I think a lot of GP looks to us and it's a similar thing because we are serving like migration is a global phenomenon And most of our fields now are serving immigrants and refugees. That's where kind of God it's that. So it's John four, right? Samaria has this unique harvest and we don't work for it in the same way. You know, a lot of us thought we were going to do this standard, you know, okay, here's how you you know, get to a harvest. And it's like, we showed up and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, I thought I was going for this harvest. You know, I thought I was going, uh, you know, to Germany to serve Germans. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm here and I'm serving the Turkic Arabic world, but it's now in Germany. And it's like, and it's a different way to think about things. And so, you know, being open, I mean, both like for us, it's like, you know, being open, where is God at work? How do we lean into that? How do we join him? There's that intersection, learning like how not to overstep. It's like, you know, immigrants are a blessing and not a burden. Immigrants have transformed my life. And sometimes it's like, we don't need to victimize. We don't need to act like, you know, immigrants need us. It's like the hope of the church is immigrants, right? I mean, they're the ones that are the strong believers that if they're not already a believer, they're, they're more likely to become a believer than a native born citizen in any country. And so it's like, we need to learn how to like not step into paternalism or colonialism and kind of recycle that again, but say, you know, no, the reality is, is that immigrants are the hope and the future. How do we empower them uh, to serve? I mean, immigrants literally 
have gone on the mission journey, right? I mean, they all have gone from one culture to another. They've learned how to not only survive, but thrive. They're more likely to be entrepreneurs. They're, they're more likely to like really succeed and hand things better to the next generation. And it's what we're all trying to do in the mission movement is saying, how do we do this better the next generation? And so needless to say, Jim, like, I mean, I think there's just tons of interaction. I also think, um, so missionaries, and this would be my challenge for any of the missionaries in the call when you come to deputation. It's like, we love Jerusalem, Judea and the far parts. I was celebrated when I was a missionary, right? We have historically always bypassed Samaria. So I think helping the local church in North America, especially those who are sending you and support, you know that it's like you are serving in the far parts, but you are serving Samaria in the far parts. And the local church in North America should be doing the same. That there are people in the countries you have been called to serve that you might have originally thought you were going to serve. But what you have been found is that there is this kind of subgroup there immigrants, refugees, marginalized people, people that are poor, like whatever it might be. And so it's like in the same way in your community, when you talk to the people of North America and the church, because um, if you didn't realize missionaries, like you have a powerful platform, you can share things the local church pastor can't. I learned that when I was a kid doing deputation, pastors would be like, I would, I want to say this, but I can't. You can't because you're going to be gone next week, you know? But it's like, we have an opportunity to say, there's a mission field at home and you need to not bypass it. Like, it's easy to avoid that side of town or say, well, oh, that's where all, you know, the, the Muslims live or, man, all the Latinos live over there. It's like, no, you have an opportunity even here to do what I'm doing overseas. And in the same way that you celebrate me for answering God's call to go to the far parts, God's calling you to your Samaria and you need to figure out what it is and kind of go there. And so I think we have the opportunity. I mean, that's what we do at Immigrant Connection a lot is tell churches, it's almost like the blockbuster mentality, right? Everyone had a blockbuster card for years. Yeah. Now they don't even exist. And it's because they didn't pivot. It's like too many churches in North America that are mono-ethnic and monocultural and monolingual don't realize the world is no longer like that. And so missionaries, I mean, I used to think that we lagged. Now we lead, right? Like we no longer have to say, I think missionaries for the longest time, it's like we took church models from the 60s and 70s and took them overseas. But it's like, now you're the innovators. You need to teach the North American church. Like, here's how to pivot. Like, I thought I was coming to plant this kind of church. Now I'm doing a house church and it's with Turkic Arabic immigrants. Or, you know, now, now we're just having a meal once a week and it's with Somali immigrants who are living in Spain. It's like, what, what are the chances of that? It's like, well, now in the United States, your neighborhoods look like it does overseas, right? You know, it's like now all of a sudden you thought you were moving to an all white neighborhood. And it's like, no, all of a sudden Congolese are moving in and you have people from, you know, refugees from uh, Cambodia and you have, you know, it's like literally the world's at your doorstep and missionaries need to empower the North American church. And like, here's how you reach them and how you reach them is they're not projects, the power, the power is in the table, right? All missionaries know the power is in the table. You, you sit at people's table, you know, you drink tea and coffee, you know, you, you break bread together. You'll be invited. Like if you invited them to your house, they'll invite you to there. You know, it's like all of a sudden it's like uh, one, of, one of my heroes, Ali Narani, who, who leads National Immigration Forum says, North Americans, especially white evangelicals, we are terrified of the Maria and Muhammad we don't know, but we love the Maria and Muhammad we do know. So it's like you as missionaries, I think, should challenge us to say, do what we've been doing. We, we went to 
places that were unknown and, and, and we learned the neighborhood and we talked to people and we stumbled with a language we didn't know, but we built relationships and we invited people in and they invited us in. I mean, the power of Peter and Cornelius is that, in fact, it says it twice in Acts. It says, Peter crossed the threshold. Like he went in, it, you know, it's like sometimes even in our multi-ethnic churches, we worship shoulder to shoulder, but it's like, when's the last time you entered into somebody's home? You missionaries, you know how powerful that is. You know, I think we have a role and I'll partner with you as American Connection, but GP has a role too of empowering the local church in North America to, to say, this is where transformation happens. It happens when you say, hey, I, I just, I saw you in the pickup line of, of my son's second grade class. It looks like you're new here. Like, I'd love to have you over. Like, I'd love to get to know you. Um, and, and they can do it too. And so anyways, I, I think you guys are the heroes that, that really can compel, um, especially our Wesleyan churches scattered all throughout the United States to say, you know, we've been doing this for years. Now you do it too, because you have the opportunity. That's really interesting, Zach, and a great challenge, I think, not only for the North American church, but for our missionaries uh, as, they, as they relate uh, back to their, their teams here in the U.S. and as they come back to the States uh, for partnership development and when they are finished in their fields uh, and integrate back into the, these North American churches to not just uh, go back to uh, what they had always, what they knew in the past, but to be instruments of change into the future. Because like you said, uh, the mission field is, is now here. Uh, I mean, it's always been here in some form or fashion but international missions, uh, wow, every one of us, every one of us can do it. And every one of our Wesleyan churches and every one of the evangelical churches in North America uh, can, can take part in world missions without ever leaving their city, yeah. which is amazing. Uh, and we need to realize, like, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've heard for years that sometimes, like, especially the lifers, the missionaries that serve forever, they come back and it's like, what's my role? Like you transformed whole nations when you served overseas and then you come back and like, you're kind of forgotten. It's like immigrant connection needs you. Like I need people who are multilingual, who understand cross-cultural dynamics. Like, you know, it's little things like, you know, missionaries know that when you have an interpreter in the room, you still look in the eye of the person you're talking to. It's the interpreter who should be invisible, not the person you're communicating with. Well, I got to teach that all the time to my people who didn't serve overseas. It's like they're having a conversation with the interpreter and they make the other person. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, it's like, so the reality is, it's like you're, you're on this call. Like you're thinking about coming back to the field. You don't know what's next or you're retiring or whatever. It's like, there are these dynamic works like immigrant connection that like we need missionaries. Missionaries are like some of the best people because you get it. You, you've lived it. Like this is your journey. You have all kinds of skills. And a lot of those have been built by, you know, mistakes and failures and yet God redeems those, uh, at least he has for me, and I know he will for you, like in these amazing ways where he uses those for your good and his glory. And so let me also make this as a pitch of saying, you know, our goal is to, you know, we want 50 immigrant connection offices in the next few years. I mean, we want more than 100, you know, in the next decade, like we, we need more and more. And a lot of them will be because uh, missionaries who have, have that overseas experience come back and use it in a pretty profound way to impact um, the local church and their communities here in the States. Yeah. 
Zach, this has been great. I think we could go on <laughs> for quite a while here, yeah. uh, but probably should should cut it off. Yeah. At this point. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. And wow, uh, this this has been very good. I, I think it'll be challenging uh, for our M's as they listen, and also will be energizing uh, for our M's as they listen. So thanks for for your passion and for encouragement and for your challenge to us. Uh, we really Thanks enjoy so it. much. Yeah, yeah, it was great to meet you and great to spend some time with you. Great, thank you.